Father in heaven, we, we thank you for these testimonies. We thank you for the way that you're working every one of our lives. We thank you for the peace that Jesus Christ brings, the hope that you bring, Jesus. And Jesus, I thank you that, that uh, when life seems hopeless, you can speak peace and hope into our lives. And we just uh, give this time to you in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, let's pick it up in verse 12. It says this, John chapter 12. The next day, the large crowd that came to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and they went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went out to meet him was that they had heard that he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the whole world has gone after him. Uh, this, of course, was the Sunday before the, the crucifixion. And if we could get our hearts around the passage a little bit, is what we, what we have to know is that the expectation surrounding Jesus, uh, for those who were putting their hope in him, was ramping up. The envy of those who opposed him was reaching a uh, fevered pitch. And as we read here in this text, the latest fuel added to the fire and the, as we approach the Passion Week for Jesus was this, is that he had raised Lazarus from the dead. And you know the story of that, raising of Lazarus from the dead. And the scripture tells us that many were placing their faith in Jesus. They were believing in him because, because of what had happened with uh, Lazarus. And so... The chief priests, the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, because they, they, they so feared the, an uprising in their nation, they wanted to keep the peace and keep control of things. Um, as we read in the scriptures, they were, they were not just plotting the death of Jesus, but they were also scheming to kill Lazarus so that they could just silence this whole uh, story and silence the influence of Lazarus. We read earlier in, in chapter uh, 11 of John, uh, John 11, that, that Caiaphas, who was serving as the high priest at that time, had actually prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, that, that he would die for the nation, and that it would be better that one give his life for the nation. And actually, Caiaphas also prophesied that, that those who were scattered abroad around the world would be, would be brought back because of Jesus' death. And so, uh, all of these things were influencing the plotting and the scheming, the, the resurrection of, of Lazarus, the, this, the prophecy from Caiaphas. And as Passover approached, um, and as all the people of Israel had made their pilgrimage to Jerusalem, there were whispers in the air. There were, there were discussions happening. You know, I wonder, is Jesus going to show up? Is he going to come? Uh, the Bible tells us that he had been kind of, removed himself from the public eye a little bit and was not walking out in the open at this time because of the threats that were being made against him. And so the question was floating around, do you think he'll show up? Do you think he'll come? 
And the Pharisees, for their part, had given the order that should Jesus appear, they were to be informed so that he could be arrested so that there wouldn't be chaos during the week of Passover. You saw a picture here of the Mount of Olives. Um, looking out where we saw George standing in the photo and, and uh, Donna and Colleen standing in the photo, you're, you're looking across to the Temple Mount and down below where they're standing and, and, and the Temple Mount is the Kidron Valley. And the Bible tells us that Jesus came from the east of Jerusalem, that he had been at Bethany at the home of uh, Martha and Mary and Lazarus uh, to the east of the city. And during, what you need to know is that during um, Passover, the Mount of Olives almost became like a campground. The estimates are that the city of Jerusalem was about 60,000 people at that time. But during the week of Passover, 2 million people would descend on the city. You can just imagine, just craziness. And people would be camping. They'd be staying all over the place. It would be time of excitement and celebration as they remember God, the Exodus story and the Passover lamb and all of the joy and uh, things associated with that. And so in the midst of all that, millions of people descending upon the city, this question was floating around. Is Jesus going to show up? Is he going to come at this time? And so Jesus had quietly made his way, well, maybe not quite so quietly, from Jericho. He'd healed Bartimaeus in Jericho. And so a procession had traveled the 20 miles from Jericho with him to the community of Bethany. And the night before his triumphal entry was the night where Mary had taken her alabaster jar and she had broken it and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped them with her hair. And uh, a beautiful expression of her love for him, but Jesus also said as a, an anointing for his burial. And so this is Sunday morning that we read about as Jesus is making his way uh, from Bethany, east of Jerusalem, to the Mount of Olives. Uh, one of the things that was so cool when we were uh, just in Jerusalem was we, the, our first day there was on Thursday, uh, 10 days ago, and um, we were hanging in the Jewish quarter, and Thursday is the day when the bar mitzvahs happen, and so, boy, it is a time of celebration. I just think, wow, we miss out sometimes in our culture and the joy, and there's singing and music and dancing, and there's this great procession of family and friends as they're celebrating uh, this bar mitzvah and making their way towards uh, the Western Wall. And we had one group come through, and then a second group come through, and just this joy and singing and dancing. And all of us had our phones out, and we we're filming all this action because it was just so fun. And, and part of the celebrations of Passover is very similar to that. Singing, joy, you know, the camping. And in particular, uh, the children of Israel would sing the Psalms, the Psalms of Ascents. Uh, Psalm uh, 120 and kind of further in the book of Psalms called the Psalm of Ascents, meaning going up to Jerusalem, going up to the time of worship. And during Passover, one of the Psalms that was sung in particular was Psalm 118. It's, uh, we sang part of it today, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. It was a cry to be delivered from enemies. You know, when they sang, God save us, Hosanna, a cry of expectancy. Save us now from our enemies. And during the time of Jesus, it, it appeared that the time of being set free from tyranny was upon the children of Israel. This leader had 
risen up, this prophet, this holy man who was healing and he might be the very uh, person who would set Israel free from her enemies. And so as Jesus approached from Bethany to the city of Jerusalem, the whispers just began to go through the crowds. Jesus is coming. He's coming. He's coming to Jerusalem for Passover. And, and as that whisper began to go through the crowd, the, the hope of freedom was being placed on Jesus. The years of expectancy were being hung on Jesus. The hope of centuries were centering on this man Jesus. And as Jesus made his way towards Jerusalem, the crowds began to grab the flag symbolic to them of their freedom and of their hope, their patriotic hope that Jesus was the Savior. And it was the palm branch. And the people began to wave the palm branch and they, they waved the branches with joy and they, they sang Hosanna and they joined the procession from the Mount of Olives towards uh, Jerusalem. But the tragedy of the whole scene is this, is that the crowd got the story wrong. They misunderstood Jesus. And it's as though in the midst of it, I mean, you have to picture tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of people in Jerusalem Jesus had a message to communicate to the city of Jerusalem, but it could not be done with his voice. And so instead, he gave them a visual lesson about his coming. He gave them a visual lesson, a lesson about his, his kingship. Instead of speaking to their ears, he tr sought to speak to their eyes. And he did so in this, in that he took a, a donkey that fulfilled the prophecy of Zechariah, and he rode on the donkey. But as we read the story, we see that they, they, they still missed it. They missed the point. They, they only had their eyes set on the one who was on the donkey and not on the fact that he was riding a donkey. You know, the other gospel accounts actually tell us that the crowd asked this. Can we go back to that picture of the donkey? Not Colleen, the animal. Just kidding, Colleen. <laughs> I can tell a funny story about myself here in a minute. But um, the, the other gospel accounts tell us that the crowd were actually asking this. Who is that on the donkey? And they were saying, that is the prophet. <laughs> yeah, there he is. Yeah, yeah, right. There it is. That's the story I was going to tell you in a minute. Um, they, they asked, who is that sitting on the donkey? And, and, and they said, that's the prophet, Jesus of Nazareth. And the lesson that Jesus was seeking to communicate to the crowd that day was the fact that he was riding a donkey. The crowd missed the lesson. So much so that the crowd who sang Hosanna, save us on Sunday, shouted crucify him on Friday. This crowd was quickly disillusioned by the hope and the expectancy that they had put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And the reason why is because they missed the donkey. They were totally keen to welcome Jesus. The enthusiasm was all there. But in their minds, they were saying this to Jesus as they were say, crying out, Hosanna, save us. They were saying, save us from Rome. Save us from other people. Save us so that we can have peace. Set us free from the Romans and then we will have peace. You know, one of the things about Roman rule was this in Jerusalem is that the Romans, because the Temple Mount was such a hotbed, 
They built a fortress called the Antonio Fortress and it came up on the north side of the Temple Mount. And what it allowed the Romans to do is the Romans weren't allowed on the Temple Mount. They would cause riots if they went there. But they would go into the Ant Antonio Fortress and they could view and look down upon what was happening on the Temple Mount. And to, to, to the Jewish people, it was just it was such a blasphemous thing that they had built this, this fortress right beside the Temple Mount. It was so interesting when we were in Egypt. Uh, we had an awesome guide, Rania, a Coptic Christian. She was a lovely lady and uh, really fell in love with our group. And she actually brought her husband and her two sons uh, with us during the last about 36 hours that we were with her. And um, she took the time to just share with us about um, the Arab Spring and what had happened in Egypt and the things that had gone on there and it's not unsimilar to the heart of the children of Israel at this time that Jesus is appearing on the scene. See, in Egypt, up till 2011, Mubarak had been in rule. We know that. He'd been there for nearly 30 years. He had once started out as a, a good leader and who had a heart for his people, but as his rule had gone on, uh, power had gotten to his head. You know, uh, he'd aged. And the heart of the Egyptians said this, you know, set us free from this one who rules over us. If we just get rid of Mubarak, we will have peace. And so I'm sure you know the story about the Arab Spring in 2011 and what it took to remove Mubarak. It was a revolution in the nation of Egypt. The problem was, is that who got into power when they ousted Mubarak was the Islamic Brotherhood. And Rania told us all about that, how Egypt went from being a progressive Middle Eastern nation to being taken back into the dark ages like that. Women having to cover their heads. Uh, law, law saying that uh, young girls as old as nine years old were now legal to be married. And uh, the nation just went backwards. And, and so it, it took another revolution and an uprising from the army to... Uh, escaped the oppression of the Islamic Brotherhood and Azizi is coming to power in there. And it was so interesting because she said, Azizi is a savior. I thought, wow. You know, just in my North American thinking, I thought, wow, that's strong language. You know, I wouldn't want to attach that to any man except Jesus. But she said, Azizi is like a savior for our nation. And what it took to remove these powers in their nation was a, was a revolution. And in Jesus' day, the children of Israel were hoping for the same thing, a, a revolution, a military uprising, a revolution that would set them free from the power of Rome. And I just think about that, that heart that says, oh, if we'd just be set free, we'd have peace. And it's so easy to blame, to blame others and say, if, if we'd just be set free of them, we would have peace. If we were free from Harper, we'd have peace, you know. Now it's like, if we were free from Trudeau, you know. If we were free from our, uh, you know, Obama, the Palestinians, if we were free from Israel, there'd be peace here in Palestine. The heart of the world, you know, the governments of the world is just buildings. If the world was free from Israel, there'd be peace on the earth. And the heart of humanity is looking for freedom and looking for peace. We, people said it on odd things. They said, well, if I was free from this community, 
If I was just free from this community, I'd have peace, you know. If I was free from my job, I'd have peace. If I'd just be free from that relationship, if I'd be free from my marriage, you know, then my life would be peaceful. Or free from whatever it is. You fill in the blank. I'll have peace if I'm set free from this. And the people of Jesus' day said this, if we were free from the oppressive power of Rome, boy, we just need a revolution. If we could be free from them, if we could be free and put them out of power, then we would know peace and we would have freedom. But here's Jesus riding on a donkey. It's not what you'd expect of a revolutionary leader, right? A war horse would be more suitable. You know, I, I, my boys, they, they've got their Instagram accounts and they're on my phone and they, they like to follow certain pro athletes and they also like certain car companies and so I always have these pictures flashing up on my phone of Lamborghinis and Ferraris and sometimes <coughs> these pro athletes with their vehicles and it, you know, as we think about the, the culture of, of uh, the sports world, you know, it's true, the athletes who make these millions of dollars, what do they go on and buy? They, they buy their, their Lamborghini or their Ferrari or their, their high-end Mercedes. It's, it's what you expect and what you'd ask. What, what, what does that athlete drive? What would be weird is for some millionaire athlete to buy a Toyota Prius, right? To cruise around in this pathetic little thing when you can be cruising in power and it's almost the same picture of Jesus. What matches a revolutionary leader is a war horse, not a donkey. A Lamborghini, not a Toyota Prius. The donkey did not match their idea of the revolution. And it's funny, this picture here, I'm riding a mule there. And uh, that's at Petra. And uh, when we went to Petra, it's a long ways into Petra. And our guide said, you know, we can rent we can either walk back or for those that want to, you could rent a mule and you could ride out the other way out of the community and we'll bring the bus around and it'll give you a chance to see more. And so about half of our group, about 20 of us, decided that we were gonna, we were gonna rent mules. And so I uh, was watching it as other people are getting on the mules and you're helping people and you're just kind of standing back. And then when it's my turn, there was, there was no mule left. Uh, they were all gone, uh, no donkeys. And so I'm like, oh, sick. What are they going to do? So yeah, they're screaming in Arabic and this and that. It's great. Dramatic culture. You'd, you'd think they're ready to kill somebody, but they just need another donkey. And uh, <laughs> so they send off this young guy. He goes cruising, and they, they pull this mule out from the caves in Petra way in the back, and I'm thinking, oh, no. What, what am I getting, you know? Because uh, apparently I'm getting the last one that's available. And there must be a reason why they held this one back. And sure enough, it was true. You know, where everybody else was riding an animal that was about two or three years old. Mine was 14. That animal is 14 years old. Who knows how many tourists it's dragged up and down those hills. And, and as we went, it, it was clear that this mule did not want to go. And I had a 15-year-old guy with me. He looked like he was about nine with a switch in his hand, beating the tar out of that animal the whole time I'm riding it. Whoosh, whoosh. The kid would come near and the thing would start running. And um, finally, along the route, the, the mule decided that that's it. It's not going. It's not going any further. It's going to stop and eat grass. And so he's there. He's whoosh, whoosh. The mule goes down to eat grass and he comes up and he kicks the thing in the throat. 
I thought, oh my gosh, I can't, be- I can't handle this. Whipping it. Keeps whipping it. Goes down again, kicks it in the throat. I said, you know what, I- I'm good, man. I'd like to just hop off and walk and you can let the mule go. <laughs> and so, sure enough, that what, that's what happened and it just was an amazing picture of a donkey. <laughs> Not a war animal. A beast of burden. An animal that's about peace. It's about peace and that's what Jesus came riding on, a, a donkey fulfilling the prophecy of Zechariah made hundreds of years earlier. And the truth is, as he rode into Jerusalem, he came for the purpose to bring peace. But he is not the revolutionary or political leader that they were hoping for because Jesus teaches us this, that peace does not come from being set free from others. How does real peace come? What is real peace? (laughs) Real peace comes when you're set free from yourself. Real peace comes when you're set free from sin. And I think about everyone, our world. It wants to be free. You know, if I could just be set free from this, then I I would be free. And Jesus says this, I've come to set you free from yourself. I've come to set you free from yourself. And the crowd that day, they, they missed the donkey. We read here in John that even the disciples who were, who were sent ahead in the other gospels to retrieve the donkey, to bring it to Jesus, missed the point of the donkey. They, they did not understand. Not until after the, the resurrection and the times that they met Jesus did they start to put the puzzle together and they... they they realized that every time they encountered Jesus after his resurrection, he came and he said this, Shalom, peace. Peace. And to have peace means, in a biblical sense, to have, to have harmony with yourself. To have harmony with others, but most importantly, to have harmony with God, health and victory and salvation with the Lord. And it wasn't until Jesus rose rose from the dead that the disciples finally realized that he came to give a peace that the world cannot give. You might even say that Jesus came to give a peace that this world is not even interested in or looking for. A peace that the world cannot give and a peace that the world cannot take away. Amen? A peace that is freedom from self and a a peace that is a life-centered on the Lord who loves us and who has a heart for us. Real peace. And Jesus was communicating that message as he rode that donkey, but the crowd missed it. The Pharisees we read about were not waving palm branches. I imagine they were standing back with their arms folded, their hearts closed, and they missed the donkey as well. They said to themselves and amongst themselves, we failed. The whole world is going after him. And and their hearts were really overtaken with envy as you read this. You know, envy, of course, is one of the, the worst things in human nature. Envy was at the root of the first murder that that led to Cain killing his brother Abel, and envy was at the root of the worst murder in history, the murder of Jesus Christ. Pontius Pilate recognized it 
And the scripture tells us that he knew it was out of envy that Jesus had been handed over to him. And so while one part of the crowd cried, Hosanna, save us, set us free, the other part of the crowd was envious of his popularity. Sometimes even as Christians, we, we suffer from the same problem, right? Envious over another Christian, over what we view in their lives or Whatever it might be, we, we can envy one another. And in their envy, they said, the whole world is going after him. What they said was true. The whole world is going after him. It's the very reason that he came. For God so loved the world, so that God would turn the heart of the world towards Jesus. And it was Caiaphas who had prophesied it's, it's better for one man to die for the nation than for the nation to go. And you know that that's actually what God taught too. Better that one man die for the sin of mankind so that we could find peace with our Lord. That's the truth of the cross. It's better that one man dies to free us from self and from sin and from ourselves. And so I just want to leave you with this one thought today, okay? One thought from the, the scripture. If you're hungry for peace, you won't find it in being set free from whatever that thing is that you thought. You'll find freedom in coming to Jesus as he sets you free from yourself and from your sin. The cry of the crowd was correct. Save us. They just had the wrong idea of what salvation looked like. And true freedom and peace only comes from Jesus Christ. Let's pray this morning and we'll dismiss you guys. Would you stand with me? Let's stand. Jesus, we thank you today. You are king. You are Lord. That you are the one who brings peace between man and his maker. And God, this morning we come to you for our peace. We come, Jesus, and we place our hope in you. We ask, Jesus, that you would set us free from ourselves. Set us free, Lord, from the desires of our heart that are not honoring to you, Lord. Set us free from the rebellious heart that would turn to you and look to provide for itself. God, our only freedom is in you. Our only good is in you, Jesus. And so, Jesus, as we... Meditate on your work this week as we meditate on the cross and your resurrection. I pray that we would remember the donkey. That we would remember the donkey that communicates that you came to bring peace. Not a revolution to set free political powers, but to set free the, the hearts of men and women who would turn to you. And so Jesus, we, we turn to you this morning. We surrender our hearts to you, Lord. We pray that we would experience a, a peace that the world cannot give as we put our hope in you today, Lord. And God, I pray your blessing upon your people. We thank you for this time today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you this morning. Thanks for worshiping with us.